technique and drills make you go faster. Not getting fitter and fitter and fitter. More technique, more downwind, and honing skills. You're never too old to change bad habits, and you're never too old to learn new ones. I can teach you all the mistakes. I've had so many mistakes in this life of mine, long life, paddling life, and why should you make the same mistakes when I've already been through there, done that, bought the t-shirt a number of times, Hi there, welcome to the Coach Tulupski podcast. These episodes are taken from Oscar's live interactions with his Oscar's club members and are great for anyone looking for insights into paddling faster and having more fun. And just a quick note that Oscar often demonstrates his paddling techniques during the live chats, which you obviously can't see while listening to the podcast, but all the accompanying YouTube videos are in the show notes. Ronald Pronk, Mark De Silva from Mauritius. Ronald Pronk, where is he? In Pretoria or somewhere like that. Okay, we're on week two, so we've, we're all alive, two weeks into it. Brandon van der Veld all the way from Peter Marisburg, I think. Um, just to go over the format today, what I'll be doing today is I'm going to go over uh, a few things that, are, that happens to most people in these two weeks of lockdown. Then I'm just going to go uh, revise on, on, the, on, the, on the drills and, and everything that I taught last uh, week, and then we'll go into the next stage of the lesson. So it's a three-part uh, three parts and uh, let's uh, have a lot of fun. Well, in week two, uh, just to show you the, the worst part about being locked up in a, an apartment in, in Cape Town is that you've got a beautiful view like that and beautiful sun, which makes it tough. You know, you can't go out, but I think that's definitely working. I mean, the people that are, are all over the world realize I think the best thing is to stay in, indoors and, and don't spread the virus, especially for people like me. Today, uh, also special for me, two weeks. Uh, tomorrow's Easter, Good Friday, Good Friday. And uh, today they've changed my chemo. So today at one o'clock, I go for my chemotherapy. Very simple. I get a drip, about three or four bags of drip going into my, into my veins. Uh, once I finish the, the drip, I also get an injection into my stomach which actually flares up. That's the, the worst part of it, uh, getting an injection in my stomach. But otherwise, doing well. I mean, and what, I, what uh, Claire and I do here, we've got a parking garage, uh, parking garage that we walk around, and we do about 2.6 kilometers in the parking garage. So we do get a bit of exercises. I, I was just saying yesterday on uh, my Instagram live feed is that I started doing my push-ups again and my exercises, which I think was necessary. And uh, Pat Langley from Viacobi, you see Viacobi there, Pat Langley, good to see, there, there, yeah. Um, it was very frustrating uh, starting my push-ups again. Uh, I could, uh, my normal push-ups, I could only do 10. And my tricep push-up, I could only do, um, couldn't even do one, couldn't even do one. So since the 22nd of uh, November, when I finished the doctor, I haven't done any exercise at all and you realize after a while that you are losing a lot of energy and and your muscles are definitely shrinking and you're getting weaker but I've started and now I'm up to uh, one uh, tricep squat probably could push out two now and uh, we're walking about between five and six kilometers a lot of fun out there you've got to make your your days uh, full of entertainment yes obviously there there's Annalise Brown and uh, oh, there's Kobe watching, um, and we've been having one meal a day. So on the on the on the putting on weight side, I think a lot of people should be watching what they're eating. Uh, we are up. We both Claire and I are losing weight nicely again. No no uh, cheats. The only cheat we have is a dark chocolate. So we have one meal a day. Normally at about five o'clock, 
and then we start we try and start opening the wine after 12 o'clock and uh, red and white wine a lot of uh, uh, and then we have cheese and gherkin so no bread no nothing and it's working well uh, on the so we're still listening to our book it's called uh, order book audible the book's called um, real food on trial by Dr. Tim Noakes, Professor Tim Noakes, and Marika Sabush, and a very interesting book how the, the South African government, basically, the South African Health Department, took on Tim Noakes and lost, which I'm happy to say, and I think he's doing a, a, a really good book. It's very interesting. It's like a novel, you know, you just can't wait for what happens. Um, then I'm reading another book. I finished the last book. The last book was very interesting. It's called, and this is something that everybody should read. It's a small book. It's really nice. And it's called The Obstacle is the Way. You know, everybody's trying to get around the obstacle. Obstacle is the way is something that we've all got to handle in this uh, COVID crisis. It's going to be tough. We've done two weeks and we've survived. Uh, and uh, now we've got to try and carry on for another week. And I don't know what's going to happen in South Africa. I doubt, I doubt that'll only last a week. And then I've, I've just finished uh, that book, Heather Downey. She's taking up paddling now in Mount Edgecombe. She's going to learn a lot. This is the other book I'm reading called Cloud Spotting. We spend a lot of time outdoors. Now at the moment, a lot of time indoors. Um, and it's something very interesting. It's a very well-written book about clouds, which we which us guys that are paddlers and are out in the open always see them and wonder how they work. And uh, Daryl Kong there from all the way from uh, Perth. And there I saw Ashley Barnes a long way away in Fishhook overlooking uh, the Miller's Run, which is probably looking fairly calm today, but uh, it's going well, you know. So guys, so we're going to go. I'm going to hand it over to the cameraman, the expert camera and Claire, and then we're going to go uh, just refresh on what we were doing. Um, Ivan Lawler, all the way from England. I'm going to have to uh, be very careful what I say because he'll uh, judge me. <laughs> and um, let's go into the lesson. So once we finish the, le the, the whole lesson, then we'll go into questions. If Claire sees a question that's really apt for the, the, for the time I, I, I introduce something, she will shout it out, and we will uh, learn a lot today. And I think we, we're breaking all records, um, and it's going uh, very well so far. Many people online, and uh, hopefully have a, uh, you learn a lot, and we'll keep learning. Next week, I think I'm going to change the time. Uh, Ivan had to wake up at 7 o'clock. You know, it's very hard. Uh, and uh, we're probably going to make it 9 o'clock next week, just the people it's getting pretty dark in the morning here in, in Cape Town. It's just... The sun's just come out, and let's make it nine so those people with one-hour time delay will be able to uh, watch it. And then, obviously, the Australians are loving it because they don't have to worry. It's their afternoon. The Americans are going to be upset. Some people uh, in the New York and that area um, is uh, like 2 o'clock in the morning, so that's pretty, pretty difficult for them. And uh, without further ado, I'll hand you to the master, master class uh, cameraman, Claire. And we'll go on to the first part of the lesson. And, and don't hesitate to send some uh, uh, questions. Don't have to wait till the whole thing's ended. Uh, and when you're ready, I'll be ready. Yeah, handing it over. I'm going to turn the camera around. Okay, there you go, Claire. Okay.
Okay, here we go again. Let's just recap on what on the first two lessons, and I'll be doing these lessons uh, till the till the shutdown is over. And uh, let's go right from the start. And it's like anything in anything in, in life and in sport, you should always go to the beginning to perfect to perfect uh, your technique. You've always go back to, got to go back to the beginning. And, and drift. You should be doing this every single year, is going back to the beginning, test your technique and making it better. That's why old people like me can still go. So remember, here we go. The wing paddle was developed, remember, the wing paddle was developed for using your body. So that's your big muscles, legs, core, and back, not your arms. Okay, that's the first thing. That's why the wing paddle was developed. It was developed to use your big muscles, to go like that, and use your big muscles as opposed to this okay so then uh, this came in probably many years ago they realized the reason why this paddle is bent down this way the blade is bent down this way is so that when i'm pulling i don't go past vertical if i go past vertical the power is going into the air i'm not getting forward power we want to keep this paddle from here to here as long as possible and you can see that this, this blade is straight but the shaft is still forward. So that's what we're trying to do. So you never want this paddle to go past vertical. Don't go past vertical. What you want to do, these people clear, you love, you love you. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Rimmink explained to him how it works. I'm on Coach Oscar Chalupski Facebook page and not my normal private page. Okay, so. What we're going to do, there's three things that cause this paddle to go past vertical. This is the thing we've got to really worry about. This is going to give you more speed with less effort straight away. The first thing is, uh, is pulling with our arm. We don't want to pull with our arm. We want to rotate and feel the power coming from the whole body. Notice the arm doesn't bend. The arm doesn't bend. Okay. The next thing and the hardest thing to cure is pushing with your top hand. You don't push with your top hand, you don't punch with your top hand, you can see how my blade is going past vertical very quickly. Again, you want to be in the default position and you want to drive your shoulder forward, drive your shoulder forward as opposed to pushing your top hand. Okay, so no pushing your top hand. Third thing, uh, interesting, is dropping your top hand. As, as I'm seeing Armas is watching, what you want to do is make your top hand like an oarlock. As, as uh, Alan always says, rows are like monkeys on a stick. You put your, your, your oar in there and off you go. You don't have to really worry too much. It can't move. But in our paddling sport, this moves, and which is a big problem. You can see the more this moves, the more this blade goes past vertical. So you want to lock it up there. So if you lock it up there, you don't drop your top hand. You lock it up there so the blade comes out earlier. Okay, so when you're dropping the top hand, the cause of that is that this pulling hand pulls your top hand down. You want to avoid that by keeping this like an oar lock, locked like that, and out it comes. Remember, there's no advantage in this day and age of having a feather. This paddle goes through the air just as well this way as it goes through this way or this way, okay? And then, that's why I like to be zero, so I can brace on both sides equally well. And then paddle length, remember paddle length is up to how you feel and how strong you are. Don't just settle on one paddle length because as you get tighter, you can change your paddle length and, and, and keep your cadence the same, 
and change your paddle length as opposed to the other way around. Okay, so that's just going over and remember we want our paddle at 90 degrees. The reason why we want our hands at 90 degrees is so it forces us to rotate as opposed to paddling at shoulder width which makes us feel like we've got a lot of leverage but no power coming from our body. This causes us to rotate, this causes us to use our arms. Okay, so that's a good summary. If there's any questions on that summary, you can uh, maybe ask Claire, anything there? I haven't seen anything yet. Claire hasn't seen anything, she's missing a few things. Okay, now we're gonna get on to the next phase, okay? I have, and, and again, I'm just gonna go, again, summarizing from last week, is that the brace stroke is the most important stroke in paddling, and the brace stroke is very simple, the way I teach it, is left hand, right knee, shaft at 45 degrees, weight on the shaft. This gives you the support and will make you much more stable. There, and the same on that side. There, and notice, lean. And as you get good, even if it's 25 knots, 20 foot waves, you're eventually gonna be able to do this and do that. Say hello, uh, how are you going? Wave, get your drink, change your paddle length, Easily enough, you can do all do that, the better you get at this bracing, okay? Remember, bracing is the most important stroke, and it's also where we start the forward stroke. Okay, from here, you see, we go from there to the forward stroke. Okay, now we're going to get on to the forward stroke, okay? So this is the new part, lesson number three, the forward stroke. Forward stroke is very simple, but very hard to actually do. It's made out of four parts. Catch, power, exit, recovery left hand side catch power exit recovery right hand side okay so it's such a simple thing simple thing now but you always got to start number one i told you we're going to start from the catch i mean from the, the brace sorry catch and and uh, your sh your shaft should be parallel with your chest as you can see there and then you start but what we're going to learn the way, and, and, and again, I'm very heartened to hear. So in 1992, at the Olympics, I was racing against a, a guy called Clint Robinson and all these guys, uh, Greg Barton, uh, Knut Holman. And in those 92 Olympics in Barcelona, basically the South African team, our K4, was uh, Herman Kotzer, Benny Randers, myself, and uh, the late Mark Pirro. And we, we trained fairly hard, but we only had a year and a half. And I had all these different coaches, won't mention any names, and all coaches were exactly the same. Same old thing. You had to do hundreds of push-ups and pull-ups and dips and all those things that I've got no inclination to do. So I raced in July against Clint Robinson, and he won the 1,000-meter gold at 18, and then he came straight across to Malika. So straight after the Olympics, finished off, we did the set of descent. I think it was Mark Perot. I think he finished second or third. As 1992, and from that day I said, no, 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 I'm never going to uh, do the sprinting stuff anymore. I'm going to do my own technique. I'm going to do my own technique and work it out myself. I'm just not going to listen to people, and that's what most people do, just listen to people without thinking about it. That's why I say when you're listening to me, think about what everything I'm teaching you, and make sure that you understand it, because if you understand it, you can repeat it when I'm not here telling you. Okay, so... What happened, I got flogged in uh, Barcelona, but when it came to 1992, Monica, I beat uh, Clint Robinson by a long way, by a long way. And I thought, no, I think I'm gonna stick to what I know. So, I mean, teaching this way for a long way, a lot of people said, no, no, the sprinters do it differently, and the this do it differently. Believe me, they've all got bodies 
Latman, they're all getting old, Latman, and you want to save your body and try and go faster with less effort. And that's the whole reason my forward stroke was developed. So it starts with the default position. Remember I said all the time, the default position is a shaft is parallel to chest about 30 centimeters away. Okay, 30 centimeters. Now default position, and this is where I changed a lot, and it's so nice to see that I see Pimenta, most of the good guys now are all dropping their elbows. When you drop your elbows, a few things happen. Okay. Your elbows drop means that your center of gravity is down. And a bit of useless information on this 9th day of April is that your arms weigh 10% of your body. So if you drop your elbows from there to there, you are lowering your center of gravity and you're making your, your stability point much lower and making you more stable. stable. Okay. So if you drop your elbows, that's number one, makes it more stable. Your center of gravity is lower. As soon as you drop your elbows, you stop using your trapezium muscles. And I hear a lot of people saying, oh, no, I can't sleep, I've got a problem with my trapezium muscles, and I, and I need a new pillow. Bailey from the Mir, who works with me at uh, Nello, at the, at the Nello School in, in Porto, always had these problems. And people didn't fix the actual problem. They said eventually they had special pillows and go get some massage every day. If you drop your elbows, your trapezium muscles will not be in use, and there goes all your problems. When your elbows up like this, this is putting pressure on your trapezium muscle. If you drop your elbows, no training. Now, the next thing, if your elbows are down, your shoulders don't get used. Don't get used. Have a look at this. Is my shoulder going to use one bit? No shoulder. And I hear so many people say, oh, I don't think I can paddle anymore. My shoulders are very good. I can't do it. Uh, let me tell you, if you keep your elbows down, your shoulders don't get engaged. Notice that? No engagement. So just to show you with the blade there, and I drop it in, no shoulder. No shoulder. Now if I keep my shoulders down, I'll never have shoulder problems. So if you have a shoulder problem, and you've had the surgery, they fixed it up, normal rotator cuff problems, cleaning out, then go back and really practice. You can practice in front of the mirror. This is it. So easy to keep those shoulders out of your technique. Now, the most important reason why you keep your elbows down is that every single sport in the world, I think 99% of all sports, if your elbows are down, you're engaging your core. If your elbows are up, notice I'm not engaging anything. If my elbows are down, I'm engaging my core. The best proponent of this was a guy called Mike Tyson. And I see all the people that are online, they're pretty much uh, old and they remember this guy, Mike Tyson. Maybe the young guys that are young won't remember him. But he was fairly short, but he was very strong and he didn't box like this and punch the people out. He always came from here using his whole core and rotating from his hips and smacking people out. He was the best proponent. Then you have a look at my mate Ernie Els or Tiger Woods and everything. When they play golf, it's all close to them, close to them, keeping their core in. Okay. Rugby, tennis, any sport, any sport out there, it always comes from the core. As soon as you make your arms like this, it's not the core. If your elbows are in, and again, obviously people in martial arts, they know this very well, that all the, the moves come from the core. The core is where the power. If you can get your core to work with your legs, you've got, you've got a much stronger body and you've got a much stronger action. And obviously it's going to make it easier and you're going to go faster with less effort. Okay. So that's why the default position was invented really engage the core. So that's the default. 30 centimeters away about that and elbows locked in. Elbows locked in. Now we go into the 
part of a stroke. Remember, catch, exit, recovery. Catch, power, exit, recovery. Even confusing myself here. Four parts, and on the left hand, and on the right hand side. Okay, now we know the catch. This is what happened in the old days in the catch. What happened was we were taught, shoot it forward. Now once I've shot forward, there's a few mistakes straight away. And this is a big mistake I see with everybody still to this day. Is when they do this, as soon as you push your hand forward, notice my shoulder doesn't go forward. So remember, and notice this is not parallel. Not in any time, this is not parallel. So you want to be here, and you push forward. That is a push forward with my shoulder and not my hands. But this is me go what happens to the other people. They push forward, the paddle ends up like this. The only way I can get this paddle in is by dropping it into the water. When I drop it into the water, I get a nice splash here. Those people that know about the splash, it's irritating as hell. And then with, over time, if I do a long race, I get a sore wrist from all the jolting. I get a sore elbow and I get sore shoulders because I'm hitting the water, especially if I've got a stiff paddle and I think I'm sprinting. I hit the water and off I go. Yeah. So, and I look at the other side. This is how people do it there and hit the water. Splash, pain all the way. And when I'm doing this, now notice clearly, notice where, where my paddle's going. If I go like this, stretching very far because everybody says, you watch where this paddle hits, watch them where it hits the water there. Mark, make a mark, mark there, I'll make a mark and pierce the straight into carpet. It's not messing it up. There's the mark. As opposed to, this is what I'm going to teach you. From there, we're going to rotate forward. Now, when I rotate without pushing my hands forward, straight away I'm engaging my body, my elbows are down, and all I want to do is drop the paddle in the water. Now, the first thing about it is three parts, but let me just show you. That's if I use my body, and that's if I shoot my hand out. Look at the difference in stroke length. Okay, look at the difference in stroke length. So this way I go like that and hit here, this way I go forward and I get a longer stroke with less effort because all I'm doing is rotating and letting the gravity pull it down. Rotate, in, and now three important factors on your catch. First one, you want it to be as close to the boat as possible. The further out your shoulder goes, the more your blade goes, the more strain you put on your shoulder. Your shoulder is not good. And Ivan and all the physiotherapists will tell you if you put your paddle in here and Mickey Doyle, you could even dissipate it, okay? So you want it really as close. The closer it is, the more compact your shoulder is, okay? So as close to the boat as possible. The next and one of the most important parts is to make sure that this blade is 90 degrees to the side of the boat. So there, not there, and not there. That's why so many people say, I'm 45 degrees or 67.3, and they put their paddle in like that. It doesn't help. It's got to be 90 degrees. And let me just show another side. Same thing, 90 degrees to the boat. 90 degrees, not like that or not like that. You want to be able to push the power down on this wing and let the wing go, and it'll go out automatically. Down first, and it'll go out, like in a J-stroke. Okay. And the third and very important part, because what happens when you do this, you only put half your paddle in the water, and if you're putting half the paddle in the water, the start of your stroke is where the most power is generated, the start of the stroke. So if you only got half, you're only generating half the power. And, and as, as we said before, the stroke is not about putting the paddle in and pulling it towards you. The stroke is about putting this paddle in all the way to the top. Most people have paid full price, so use the whole way up to here, all the way to the top. 
and then pull. So they're very important. So number one, it's got to be close to the boat. Number two, 90 degrees. And number three, all the way to the top of the blade. Okay, all the way to the top of the blade. So those are the things. Let's go through it again. Close to the boat, 90 degrees, and make sure the whole blade's in the water. So it's not a big thing on this, on this catch. As you get better, it's not to stretch it out. Because as soon as people stretch out, they stop using their shoulder when they're trying to stretch out. I'd rather see somebody with their catch rotate, and, and uh, Armand will see, and, and as you get better, it's just going in and back, you know. But again, I'm just breaking it out to make it a little bit more simpler. The catch will become a one-piece effort as you get better. Okay, now the power phase. This is very important. Watch my legs. If I rotate properly, there's my legs going. And I remember I've got a foot rest here. I put it in. And then what is the strongest part of my body? What is the strongest part of your body and my body? Your legs. Your legs are the strongest part. So that's what we want to use when we paddle. Not our arms. So the start is, once my whole blade's in the water, right there, right, all the way in, then I drive my leg, my leg, the powerless part of my body. I drive it back. My leg's connected to my hip. And when I last checked, my hip's connected to my shoulder, which is connected to my hand. So I'm driving it, I drive it. And then once my leg, normally the calf or the back of the, of the hamstring touches the bottom of the boat, or in a K1, when you're nearly straight, your stroke is over. Okay, so the power phase is very small but very powerful. Rotate, notice my legs there, in, drive it down, finished, and notice my blade hasn't gone past vertical. Look at the other side, rotate, in, there, drive, and then it's over, and notice this blade hasn't gone past vertical. I can always do that to make it past vertical, or I can just do that and I'll make it go past vertical. So you don't want it past vertical. So getting back, so the power phase is all about using your legs, your, your hips, and your back to pull this yourself forward, okay? Next part is the exit. So we go around, in, pull, strokes over. Now what's happening in the boat is that we're pulling ourselves past the blade, like that, pulling ourselves past the blade. So when I say exit, and many people have been taught, take it out of your hips. I can tell you, if you think about it, you take it out by the hips, it's going to come out by your rudder. Okay. So remember that. Don't think hips. Think knees or before the knees. Because what's actually going to happen when we're actually paddling, go, pull, 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 we're going along, the boat keeps on going, the blade's going to still be coming back, and the, the perfect time to take it out is as this elbow hits the side of your body, or close to your body, depends where it is, that's when you take the paddle out. So your exit is very simple. As soon as this elbow touches the side of the body, so we're in that, that position, all I do is lift this hand up. If I take the back of the hand and just lift it up to my shoulder, and guess what? I'm in default position again. Okay, so it's just there and there. No effort. Too many people in the exit, if you're pulling too far back, there's a lot of weight and water in your paddle, you have to do this to take it out, and this is where the problem starts. This is the sole shoulder problems, and then when I'm going through, I'm going through like that. Because I'm holding the paddle too tight as well. So we're going to avoid that, and again, this is going to take a lot of time. It's taken, taken me for many years, and I'm, and I'm doing these drills 
all the time, working my technique all the time, every day. It's the most important thing I do. So I pull, get there, out. I'm in default already. Default already. Now, recovery phase. Recovery phase, that's where we said, we're going to, as, as Ivan said, this is going to be an all lock. It must be the same height all the way. If I keep it the same height all the way, I'm not going to make this blade drop down and not make this blade go past vertical. So this all lock stays at the same height. Now, people all ask me, what height? What, if you're a sprinter, padding in flat water in Elmbridge, always completely flat, flat, not a ripple around, you can obviously make your hand go higher. The, the more unstable you are and the more uh, taxing conditions you are, the more you have to drop your elbows down and the more you lower your stroke. Okay? It also happens in the Monaco. When I'm doing the Monaco, padding 52 kilometers, three and a half hours, I'll probably start off like here, and as I get tired, I bring it down. But the most important part is it stays the same height. It doesn't go like this. It stays like an orlock. It goes lower, but it stays like an orlock. So don't make it up and down, up and down. Keep it the same height the whole way through. Okay, very important. Don't, even, even at the end of the race, you pan like this, doesn't matter. If you keep it the same height, you won't have your blade going past vertical. So, let's go through it again. The catch phase. Very, the catch, again, we go through the whole thing on the left-hand side. Rotate. Notice, I don't push my hand forward. I just rotate. Put it in. 90 degrees. Hold blade in. Drive hard with my legs. You can see my legs straightening compared to the other one. Hips going back. Finished. Pull it and let the paddle come, no power in it, and then up. I'm in the default position, remember 30 centimeters, elbows are down, and then rotating to the next side. You can see it's ready, ready for there. In I go, pull to before my knees, let it go, and up. Okay, so that's how simple the forward stroke is. And those guys have paddled a long time, and those guys have started to realize it becomes a complete blur when you try and do it in rough conditions or unstable boats and things like that. That's why you always want to take on and, and learn the forward stroke in a very stable boat, in very calm waters, and make sure that you only worry about technique and not about spe speed to start off with. Too many people try and get too fast too quick and it's like any sport. If you get the basics right, believe in me, you go faster with less effort. It's like swimming. No matter, I haven't swum for many years, I get in the pool with a non-swimmer, I mean, I'm talking a non-swimmer, a person that hasn't been brought up in swimming, and you just fly past them, they can't believe it. They've been training for ages, and you just swim past them because you've got a much better technique. Okay, I'm going to take a few questions before we go on to the next uh, part of this, Claire. Okay, this is Richard Jennings. If the paddle is supposed to sit stationary in the water as you pull your boat past, why is a larger paddle harder to use? Okay, so it's, again, what Richard Jennings is saying is that, and, and, we, and again, just go back over it, the most important part about paddling is putting this blade in and pulling yourself past. Okay, so now what happens is, and that's the perfect world, most people put this blade in and the blade comes back and they only go a little bit forward. That's why their cadence is normally much higher than guys that lock this blade in, like a Clint Robinson of this world, uh, um, Hank McGregor's and Corey's, they put the blade in, it's locked in there, and they move forward. Now, what actually happens is that when this blade goes in, it does go back a little bit. 
Okay, so what the uh, Ray J says, why does it why is it harder to pull a bigger blade back? Because what actually happens is this paddle, even this size paddle, will come back slightly. So in the perfect world, so this is emulating again, I put it at this block, and it probably comes back this much with this side blade. Okay, so it goes from there to there if I'm good. Now if I had a big blade, it goes from there and it only goes halfway because the bigger blade will stop it moving back. So then it's got much more grab on the water. Therefore, a bigger blade is going to make you, by rights, if you can pull yourself further, go faster forward because it's not coming back. So it's not coming back at all. It's only coming back a little bit. So a blade like this side might come back a block, a bigger blade come half a block, and that half a block makes a big difference because as long as your paddle is in the same spot, you're going to get a lot of power going forward. That's why those people, and I might as well talk about those people get sore coccyxes, from pushing into the back of the boat, that doesn't help you. You want to pull yourself forward like a pole vault. You want to be pulling this paddle in like that and pulling yourself forward and past the blade. Okay, and and I, I had another question from uh, uh, Louis and Pierre Stradham. Uh, is the wave ski, so that's another sport that I used to do when I was very young, haven't done it for a long time, maybe I'll take it up. In, in wave ski paddling, they seem to get a lot of problems with their hip flexors. Hip flexors is here, and I think the only way is to do a couple of exercises to try and loosen those hip flexors, pushing it back like that, and just slowly trying to loosen your hip flexors. Again, that just comes with time on a boat. I spent many hours on the boat. Also, if you have problems with hip flexors, what 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 the biggest problem in a, in a, in a wave ski is that they like to be really tight in, so you haven't got much movement. So you're actually doing a rotation from here as opposed to from here, which is a bit difficult. So if I was on a, a wave ski, I think I'm going to make it a little bit more, a little bit more slippery, although you have to have it quite tight to, to, uh, to um, maneuver. But I'd rather have my seat coming around with a little bit of movement in my seat so I don't get hip flexor problems because I'm not actually moving my hips in a, in a wave ski when I'm, I'm, I'm sort of cinched in, safety belted in. Okay. Michael Murphy, backtracking a little, using your energy of the blade being the front cog of the bicycle with the larger variety of, of blades available on the market, what is your recommendation for choosing the blade best suited for you as an individual? I mean, there's a lot of factors that you have to take in consideration. As I said before, just backtracking a bit, you've got to see how far you're going to paddle, how fast you're going to pedal, how old you are how old you are, because if you're not strong, you can't pull a big blade past you, you see? So, and then how wide your boat is, how high your seat is, uh, all these factors, and what kind of technique. If you've got a very high technique, you can get away with, with, a, with a shorter paddle. If you've got a low technique, you can get away with, you, have, you might need a longer paddle. So all those factors come in, but the most important thing is to mess around with it. Change your paddle length all the time. And again, invariably, I mean, I mean, doing it for such a long time, I know what people should have. I mean, most men that are still semi in their prime can probably paddle between 210 and, and, and 220. And I'm, I'm on a 735 uh, Bratcher 4, 735 centimeters. Uh, that's the, the square centimeters that I use, um, which is big enough. The funny thing is, it's interesting that we at, at Nello, we make a smaller plastic blade, which is probably 640 square centimeters. And it really, makes you really paddle well if you've got a very small blade. I, I was paddling with some Swedes 
and I got the small blade and felt uncomfortable because they couldn't make the small blade grip. So the better you're, uh, uh, maybe another drill for you to learn is to learn how to paddle with a very small blade and get just as efficient as a big blade. That means your technique is, has to be really perfect. You have to put it in, you can't go past vertical, otherwise you've got no power. You've got to make sure you take it out absolutely perfectly. So, so the blade size, I'd say, for if you're going to do long distance, I wouldn't go more than 735. Uh, if you say over 50, if you're younger, you can probably go to 760. Uh, and then length, uh, I've stopped going to 220. I go to about 219. And when I'm doing technique, I might go to 220. But nowadays, I, I paddle between 217 and 210. So I probably could paddle with a 207 to 217 at, at my strength and, and my ability. And as I say, I haven't been paddling much, but I'm doing my push-ups and I should get strong soon so that I can uh, um, eventually paddle as well as I was before uh, this issue that I had. Yeah. So I hope that answers you. So again, play around with the blade size and sharp length. And, and again, just like a bicycle, you do that first hill and you try one gear, the next hill, and after the 10th or 15th time, you realize, oh, this cog in the front, this uh, cog in the back, and I'll get up the hill very easily. This question's from Lawrence. You use zero for your offset. I'm starting out in K1 marathon racing. Is there an ideal offset to start with? Okay, if you're just starting, if a question, uh, question, are you just starting K1? But if I was just starting K1, I can tell you right now, I just go zero. There's no, it, no matter how much, I, and, and, and Ivan's father listened to this, uh, this, this uh, talk, and Ivan's father is like 80 in the shade. He said, no, 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 you have to have that. I said, no, 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 it's just because you are so used to paddling with a feather, like I was for 40 or 50 years, paddling with a feather, a man left feather, doing this all day. You don't need it. Once you, on zero, and again, this is the biggest thing that I see. It's amazing. I get good coaches that realize, oh, zero, and they put kids with zero uh, angle, and off they paddle so nicely. You put an angle, and straight away, they, they're looking how to do it, and they're looking, it's not natural. So on zero, you'll find that you're putting the paddle in perfect, it comes out, and there's just a little, a little movement to get it to zero. There, and there's a little movement. It's sort of natural. You don't need a feather. How can, how can there be a feather? You are doing a symmetrical sport. You're doing a symmetrical sport. Why does there have to be a feather? Why? The reason why you had a feather, remember where this feather came from. We were paddling with flat blades into the wind. There is no other reason. Don't let anybody talk nonsense into your head. The reason why we had that feather is to cut through the wind. It was not natural. Otherwise, everybody would be left feather or everybody would be right feather. No, it's not like that. Some people are left feather, like I'm left feather, and you'll get a lot of people that are right feather. Okay, so there's no such thing as left and right feather. Get to zero feather. Having said that, if you've been paddling left feather all your life, Ireland's also a left feather paddler, stay at left if that's more comfortable. But I see so many people that think they are so good, come out in the ocean, and they think they can brace well on both sides, and they can only brace well if you're a, left, a right feather paddle on the left-hand side and they're always falling out on the right-hand side because they can't actually brace very well. And then so many people with 67 or 75 put the one paddle in like this and then the other paddles like this and they think they are symmetrical. You want to be symmetrical and zero is the best way. As I say, it takes time. It's to take, it took me about close to a year and a half to get it perfectly uh, natural and now it's perfectly natural. 
and again just practicing all the time on zero slowly went from 75 to 45 those are the easy ones the hard ones from the 10 to the zero that's the hard part of going zero so if i was a k1 marathon batter very happy on north when somebody hits in your paddle you're just going to brace in k1s you have lots of flashing of paddles and i still see the people falling out their boats for no reason Pimenta the other day what in fact Pimenta fell out the boat he wasn't even hit by another person he just got a few waves wobbled and in he went as usual on the right hand side in, in a 5,000 meter race so that happens because they don't practice bracing even the best paddlers in the world don't practice bracing on both sides should become natural okay Rob's question oh, do you want to do that now or later you do it yeah um, he said uh, what are the factors that cause one to make a ski lean to one side when paddling? How do you identify this? How to correct this? And also if you are paddling in a double with two people influenced. Okay. So the question is, what makes our boat sit skew? Okay. So understand most seats are shaped with that. So automatically, center of gravity should pull you down to the lowest part of the boat. Okay. The thing that's going to stop that moving to the low side of the boat is if you've got a butt pad that is not super slippery so straight away you think you're sitting straight but you're moving you slightly off center and then you're off center and then the boat will lean on one side now that's the one way some guys because they've got this feather going back to the feather and, and dean guy is a perfect example he's got a little lean in his in his whole stroke so he's always leaning to one side if you don't keep your whole body absolutely centered and you lean it to one side, your boat will lean also to one side. So you'll find that Dean's boat leans slightly. Now, in the ocean, you can get away with it. But as soon as you get on flat waters and K1s and K2s, you can actually see it. So if you want to see the problem, you have to go in absolutely glass flat water and feel how your boat's gliding, that it's actually straight. So if you haven't got a, a very loose seat, your bum will slide to one side. And then the worst thing is when you're in a double, it's the hardest thing. And what I found with my weight and everything is that sometimes, again, it comes from people invariably with these rubber seats which haven't got the movement. And, and then also in K2s as opposed, uh, as opposed to surf skis, in K2s as opposed to surf skis, far worse when the, when the, when the uh, K2, the actual seat moves as well. So if you have got a, in a K2, this is a perfect scenario, you feel that you've got a, 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 a lean one way or the other, You've got to have one person to say, okay, I'm going to sit like I'm comfortable and the other person must compromise. Vice versa. Don't have two people going on half power because two people think they're sitting skewed. Rather have one person sitting properly and the other person sitting skewed. Because so many times in a double, both people feel uncomfortable. I've never, I always hear, oh no, we were sitting skewed. Uh, I was struggling and you were struggling. Make one person sit comfortable and the other person, if you can't fix it, the other person leans so you know okay this is it i'm going to lean for this race for 20 k's this side or this side you decide front or back and off you go you don't worry about a lean okay a lean should not be there should not be there and the only way to fix it is to be in absolutely flat water testing it going slowly and then increasing your speed all the time increasing your speed all the time so that you get better and better because invariably what happens the, re the when you start wobbling is when you're starting to put the power down all problems in your technique happen when you start trying to go faster because what happens is 
you forget about your technique and you think about power and then you end up pulling hard on one side and invariably that's why the lean if you pull hard on your right hand side because you and you're using your arms you will make that boat go lean one side okay because understand what we're trying to do is put this paddle and we're trying to lift ourselves up so if you're getting fast and your, your your stroke isn't perfect as you pull hard on this side it's going to lift your boat up this way if you're not used to it okay because what happens is uh, if you as you this is getting very technical but it's important is that when you round when you put this blade in what you actually want to do is lean slightly onto this blade so when you pull it up you don't fall over this way same way you're just leaning slightly on this way so your boat you'll see the best sprinters in the world the boats move slightly left to right using your weight because when i put this pattern if i use my 100 kilos it's going to help better than being like this and putting it in so you want to be onto that blade onto that blade that's slight tilt on one side but if you've got one tilt only on one side it should be like that then you know that one side is pulling harder than the other side and causing that tilt uh, Richard Jennings has just said, should your boat rock from side to side a little as you paddle? So you've just yes, yes, answered exactly that. Okay. Answer that, yeah. Now this one is Dion. So on a river or bay with very little waves, a standard offset would be fine. I use a standard offset as that's what I've always used. Okay. Well, now that's a very good question. Once you start traveling around the world, the standard offset, there's no such thing. Okay. There's no such thing as a standard offset. A lot of people are 60 degrees, 65, 70, 45, 35, right further. And then you go to Oslo, Norway, Knut Holman and Eric Veres Larsen and, and Ed van Volt. They all left further. They all left further. And they are 60, 45, 30, I don't care. There's no such standard. I don't know what the standard is. So maybe if you could ask me, what is the standard feather? And I'd say the standard feather that I'd like to see is zero. The rest is just how you feel, how your coach, and invariably as a coach, it I, I, pains me. I see in my club at, in, in uh, Villa de Conde in, in Porto, there are these poor guys have got no chance. All got feather angles, all got feathers. And there they're going and you see them getting their feather and they're looking. And it's, it's, it's actually a joke. And they think, they, they, they think this is how you do it. And if you don't have a feather, oh, no, you're very shocked. No, you're very, you, you, you actually don't know how to paddle if you haven't got a feather. That is absolute nonsense. You've got to get this mindset out of this feather angle and realize as soon as you make it zero, you take out all chance. And I can guarantee, just like the top guys in the world are now changing their paddle length, the top guys in the world will have zero feather and they will go fast. They will never have wrist problems and they'll be symmetrical, paddling symmetrically. Now, Brandon Ribbink, he wants to know, please clarify zero feather for a board paddler like me. Okay, so board paddle like you is absolutely perfect. Brandon Rimming is one of the best board paddlers and the best SUP paddlers. And it's a perfect example. In SUP, you put the paddle this way, and it's the same feather, and you put it this way. Same feather, okay? You don't change your feather. You do it exactly the same, because it's one side and one side. So your handle holds the same. So for a board paddler or SUP paddler or prone paddler, he's one of the best prone paddlers in the world. When, you, when you're going like that, when I'm doing my thing, it's all symmetrical. So for you, zero is going to be the best. Even though he does paddle, uh, he has paddled in his past, you want to be exactly. So this is like an SUP. I go like this, and then if I had it, this was a wing paddle, and I went, I would do the same thing. I wouldn't do this and then do my SUP paddle. No, 
So it's exactly like an SUV. SUP, you do this, and if this is the and this is the old SUPs which I did in North Beach in the 1970s, where we stood up on a on a boat. It's called a crocker ski, and that's the first SUP, and those were like done in the 60s and 70s. And then you would put it in and straight. With those crocker skis, and you'll have a look at the old photographs. I could probably put it on my on my Facebook page. Those all had zero feather. When you're catching down a wave, zero feather. So this is exactly like SCP, so Michael Booth would be very happy. If I was doing an SCP, standing up with this paddle, I'd do this, and I'd do this. Now if I did a feather, I'd put it in this way, and then, oh, no, hang on, I've got to do this this way, and then I've got to do this this way. How stupidly confusing. Okay, so at zero, make it simple. Make your life simple. I go like this, and when I'm going on the other side, I do like that. Exactly uniform for both sides. Just like an SUP. Okay, and he's a master SUP. And if you're a board paddler, always go to zero. There's no downside. The, the upsides, obviously, again, it's much easier to brace like this than to brace like this. There, and then I forget, and then I'm out. Because stability is important. Okay. Another one, quick one. Daryl Justice. Any advice on finding an optimum marathon cadence yeah that is a good question what is the optimal marathon cadence the optimal marathon cadence is a cadence that you can keep up and and increase the speed with hardly increasing the cadence okay so that's the optimal thing because in the marathon padding and remember that sprinting and ivan's a master this that he used to sit on everybody's wave all the way nice cadence keeping the 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 his, his energy and at the end sprint past now, in the end, when he sprint past, he didn't increase his cadence, he increased his speed, which is important. So, if you can't, what is Ivan saying? No. <laughs> so, understand that you, the cadence in marathon planning, very important, that the cadence that you have there is a cadence that you can increase the boat speed at, at, at a fraction of a second. Okay, so you don't want to cadence is so low and suddenly there's an interval and your cadence stays slow. And, and you you can't get your speed up. So in marathon paddling, it's about it's it basically marathon paddling is like downwind paddling. Explosive power sitting on a slip. Explosive power sitting on a slip. That's why Hank is a many time world champion because he's got the explosive power and then resting. So you want that cadence that you can give that explosive power. So if your paddles, if your if your cadence is too long and you understand that having a, a slow cadence is good, but as long as you can pull the power down to get the speed up to go faster. Remember, getting faster is not by increasing your cadence, it's by increasing the power to make your boat go faster. Remember that, don't just take the cadence up. We've got a few friends that do that. Uh, they just take the cadence up. What you want to do is take the power up to go faster. It's exactly like in a bicycle. At the end of a Tour de France, they're in the biggest gear, not in the smallest gear, and they, the cadence gets faster because they are going faster. You don't want to increase your cadence and then change gear. No. In the, in the Tour de France, just like in paddling, you want a, the cadence that you can increase the speed by increasing your cadence. Not increasing the cadence and then, and, and then you wheel spin. You don't want to wheel spin. Next question. This is very technical. Yeah. Oscar, how did someone like you get such a wonderful wife to put up with, with you for so many years? What is your secret? This is from Hank. <laughs> <laughs> it's very technical. You know, you know, firstly, let me explain. I chose her. <laughs> I cho Hank, I chose her. That's the first thing. And she said, yes, that's the second thing. So those two things work. You see, one and two. 
makes three and, and now we've got two uh, kids as well. So that's an important thing. Behind every successful man you have to have a woman and especially in our sport we have to do downwinds and things like that. Claire spent many a day in the worst valleys in the world, uh, Mkumar, Samgani, Tugela rivers and then all over South Africa driving. What a pain in the butt. But uh, she's, her labor of love, she's getting much better at it. She's on time more, you know, so I've coached her very well. Be on time, uh, make sure there's cold drinks when I'm finished. And then if it's a late thing, cold beers in the fridge. And cook beautiful meals. So this, this, this time of uh, just the two of us in this little two-bedroom flat, it's been fun because we've been able to uh, have candlelight dinner for two every single night. Nobody else except maybe the TV and, uh, and uh, Facebook and the social media. Very, very happy to and, and report that I've only had... Uh, 37 years together and uh, 32 okay, years married. That's okay. enough. That's <laughs> this is from Peter. Um, Oscar, Peter from Perth here. Any thoughts on higher rating for a lighter, less powerful downwind panel like myself? I receive frequent comments from the big and powerful guys that my rating is too high. Okay, remember, rating is not to do with how, how uh, small or big you are. That's nothing. It's all about efficiency. So you've got to go back because, and, and again, remember what happens uh, in Perth and when you, when, you, when you sprint and paddle hard. The first thing that happens if you're going downwind is you grab the paddle tighter. As soon as I grab my paddle tighter, what happens then? I start using my arms. So as soon as I get this paddle past vertical, it becomes a non-event and that's why my cadence comes higher. I can tell you that the smallest people, uh, uh, Michael Booth of this world is, is uh, small. Small girls, go and look at the sprinters, go and look at the sprint girls, they are actually small, they, they're all small. And Michelle Erek, they haven't got high cadences. The high cadences come because, and I can assure you this is happening, is you're getting this paddle past vertical, then it slips through the water so easily. So that first makes your high cadence. You might have a long stroke, but it's all here. You've got to change your, your to be very loose, and get this paddle in here, power it forward, and get out of it. Because let me tell you, when your paddle is like this, and you can just stand in the water and, and do it like this, and pull, you can hardly pull the paddle back. Whether it's you strong, or you weak, or any easy. As soon as you do this, it's easy to pull through the water. Okay, so you've got to really focus, and this is for everybody. If your paddle is like this, and you go and stand in the water, go into wasted water, put this paddle in, and feel how powerful it is, here in a swimming pool or wherever if you guys a lot of people can't go out now so you can go in your swimming pool and stand in the swimming pool put this blade in and pull and see how difficult it is to pull that blade back whether you're small big doesn't matter difficult to pull easy to pull okay so it's again all those three things that i told you don't let your paddle go past vertical so everybody's cadence should be much slower than they should than they, than they really are at the moment except if you're the top of the uh, top of the pop the fermenter or, or max hoff or one of those guys those guys have got really nice slow cadences because they're efficient with their paddle and they've got bigger blades and they're stronger than it's slower but for us we can be a little bit faster than the sprinters the fermenters of this world but we don't want to rev we don't want to rev when we're catching that wave and i'm always and, I, and we're going to cover that later on is that when I catch, when I'm catching around, I'm thinking of power, not thinking of how fast I can get my cadence going. I'm thinking power so that my cadence increases with the increased boat speed. Not increase my cadence and then hopefully my boat goes faster. 
I increase my boat speed because I put more power, not more cadence. That coming back to that marathon uh, question. This is from Brendan Germain. So ergonomically, a crankshaft for Salem and whitewater paddlers is the best shaft option. Why don't more surf ski and marathon paddlers use a crankshaft on a wing paddle? Okay, so Brendan hasn't been in the sport very young. Brendan from Durban, he makes uh, max paddles, I think, yeah. So, Brendan, let me explain to you. 19, uh, were you born? I don't know if you were born. In 1985 was the first crankshaft. It came out the same time as the wing paddle. Everybody tried it. In fact, Greg Barton tried it, threw it away. Uh, at, at, at July, Chepes was using it, the crankshaft. They all tried it. came out the same time as the wing paddle. But next year, there wasn't one single crankshaft in the market. And they threw it away, and it was dead and buried. Now, as soon as you have a crankshaft, the problem with a crankshaft is that if you change paddle length, the crank's still in the same path, so that doesn't work, okay? And then, this is the biggest joke of it, and that's why it can work in slalom and white water, because you're never gonna change your paddling. A crank shaft on zero actually can work. It can work, but if you're used to doing this, and if you don't hold your paddle tight, there's no difference. So if I hold my paddle very loosely, a crank shaft uh, can work. It can work, but it's, there's, there's no benefit, and it's the old story. Whatever, works in the high in, in like formula one whatever is in formula one we eventually get it into our cars i understand so all the high tech is developed in the racing market and then from there it comes to our market in the old days we're the only people that had wings and no nobody used to, to use wings now everybody sea kayakers recreational paddlers all use wings but they realize it's efficient it's more efficient just like formula one the, the abs braking all those things come back Two hour cars that we use every day. Uh, that's it. Okay, guys, uh, that was another one hour lesson. Um, just to remind you that if you want to see videos, all these videos done in the water, uh, more coaching, uh, just go to coachchilipski.com. It's coachchilipski.com, all one word, and you'll see more videos, and hopefully they will help you through this. this uh, time we can't actually get out the water at least you can see the water here you can't even see any water so that's that's a tough one our next clinic will be on on uh, next thursday and it's going to be at nine o'clock and then we go to the next step of the coaching so we've done our three now we don't have to do the forward stroke what i'm going to teach you the next step is how to perfect the forward stroke like i would like you to do or like you would like to do to get faster and that's the next uh, uh lesson and then I might do on Sunday evening, sort of over a glass of wine, I might uh, consider doing a talk on BMT, Big Match Temperament. So that's a very interesting subject. A lot of people ask me to cover that. So I might cover the Molokai maybe at uh, sort of 8 o'clock on Sunday evening on BMT, Big Match Temperament. And there I'm sure Arvin had it and uh, Hank had it because that's why those guys have won many events. It'll be interesting to see. Um, we'll just do it over a glass of wine after my wife's made me a beautiful meal again. Uh, so me signing off. So the next time we'll see you next Thursday at nine o'clock. Look forward to teaching. Go home and uh, no, go home. You all stay home uh, and, and keep learning, educate yourself and uh, see you next week. Hi there. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you want to join Oscar's club or get access to his free technique video series, you can do that by visiting coachchalupski.com.